If you take your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 2. We are in a section of Philippians where we've been considering uh, the person and work of Christ, in particular his mindset. And the Apostle Paul, inspired by God, encourages us to have the same mindset, the same attitude as Christ had. But he's going to explain what that's going to look like in many ways in the coming few verses. And we're going to just take the first couple that I, I have uh, meditated on a lot in my Christian life. It, it, it works out with us uh, what's going to happen in our spiritual life. How, how does it actually work? What are we supposed to do? What does the Spirit of God do? How do those things work together? That's uh, what Paul is discussing here in Philippians 2 uh, in just a moment as we read verse 12. We're just going to read two verses. Uh, so let's ask God to bless the time and that we spend in His Word and thinking upon it. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, uh, we again ask for Your blessing. We come to Your Word to be nourished and to be fed. And as we'll uh, come to the table in a minute so that we'll take in physical food and physical drink and be fed in our bodies as a sign of what You're doing in our souls. We pray that you would nourish us and strengthen us for Christ's sake. We pray that you would help us understand and have great hope of your work and your accomplishments in us and what you intend to do in us. We ask for these blessings and we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Philippians 2, verse 12. This is God's word. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now... Not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. This is God's word. It is completely true and utterly trustworthy. There's a comic strip. has a fourth grade boy looking at his fourth grade teacher. She is looking back at him, disapproving. Behind them is the, the board in their classroom, and on it are a number of unfinished math problems. And in the fourth grade boy's hand is the marker for the board. And uh, his, he is the one commenting on the situation. He says to his teacher, I am not an underachiever. You are an over-expector. Now that sounds about right, right? We shape what we do in life and what we think about life with our expectations. Perhaps you've had this experience where you wanted to kill some time and you looked for a movie you could find and nothing really stood out, so you picked one and watched it and you were thinking, wow, I have stumbled on a very, very good movie. And you tell your friends, this movie was really great. Well, they go in and watch it and they come back and say, yeah, I didn't. it was okay. You know, well, part of the problem was you went in and stumbled on a movie with no expectations and it exceeded them. You told them it was great. Like, uh, I can't believe it didn't win awards. And they go thinking they're getting one of the best movies ever. And they're like, eh, not so much. Expectations really shape how you enjoy something. This is as true about your spiritual life as anything else. What you expect the life in Christ to be like is going to shape your joy in it. When you have 
expectations. Well, well, let's say it this way. When you are an over-expector in the Christian life, what ends up happening is you grow very frustrated and disappointed. The question you ask is something like this, or say, the comment you say is, I really thought I would be a lot better than this by now. Perhaps it's the expectations about what's going on in our lives and how it's supposed to happen is part of the problem. On the other hand, we can be under-expectors. Or we can say, you know, I'm just always going to struggle with this sin. I'm always going to be like this. This is just something that's kind of built in my personality. And what comes in when we under-expect is a, a, a little subtle form of cynicism. It's not really happening. There's nothing to be seen here. Let's just move on. How do we have right expectations? And what does it look like to expect in the Christian life? All right, I want you to see a, a couple of things from Paul's passage here. The first is that obedience is expected from the saved. From the people who are being saved by God, obedience is the expected life. All right. Follow his train of thought. Verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed. All right. He's starting right here. I know you. You've always been a, a group that obeyed God. Now he's going to put something in the middle, in the, in the little commas there, that, that's going to kind of be sort of a personal comment. You know, not just when I was there, but also when I wasn't. You know, the very way that parents want their children to, to behave. Not just when I'm looking, but all the time. That's the kind of people you are. But as you have obeyed, work out your salvation. Working out your salvation is, is parallel to their previous obedience. He's saying that the way you work out your salvation is obeying God. Now, let's start here by what we could do wrong with this passage. If you say, look, Paul says, work out my salvation. i got to figure out how to obey enough. To be saved. That's what it's, you could read him to say. But in order to do that, you have to discredit everything else that Paul says in all of his gospel, all of his letters. And, you know, you have to ignore everything I've said for eight years. He doesn't say, work out your salvation, figure out how to get it, work out to achieve it. It's more like he's saying, work out your salvation that you have. You've already been given salvation. Now work out what it means to be saved through obedience. An example of what that might be like. If you look through the headlines of the news, about, I don't know, weekly or every other weekly, you're going to see a headline about what Kate Middleton wore. Now, perhaps you don't think that's big news, but if you're English, that's big news. Because Kate Middleton is married to one of the princes, and I can't remember which one. I'm not British. But uh, she's married to one of the princes who's an, an heir to the throne, and that puts her in the center of the symbol of all of British life. And so everybody cares what she wears and what she does and what her priorities are and her health. It's the headlines of the news. But think about what happened to her. She had a place in society, and it was a privileged one. But then she married into the, the center of the royal family. And she got there the day she was married. She fit. She belonged. 
She had all the privileges and all the responsibilities of belonging to the royal family as far as England goes. But now she's got to figure out how that works. How do I show up in public? How do I handle these responsibilities? What does it look like to belong to this family? That's what you are. You have been brought into the royal family of God by salvation. You have been adopted as sons and daughters. You are in and you fit if you are trusting in Christ. And so Paul says, now that you have this great salvation, work it out. Work it out in obedience. Now, obedience doesn't really sound like the favorite word for us. That means someone's telling me what to do, right? And most of us don't like to be told what to do. And so already I'm looking at this Christian life going, wait a minute. Is this really the best scenario? But but think about who's commanding it. After all, the first word he gives is, therefore. And so he's referring back to all that he's just said. Because of what I've said, you really ought to obey. What has he said? He said this, Jesus, who was sitting on the throne of God, completely and utterly equal to the Father, being worshipped by angels, didn't hold on to that status, but gave it up so that he could come and obey his father. Jesus thought obedience was beautiful. And then it says that he didn't just obey, but he obeyed to the point of death on a cross, in which case he took your disobedience and nailed it to the cross. And then he was raised to glory, exalted. And so there are a number of reasons why Paul says the most sensible thing for you, knowing this, is to obey. After all, obedience in God's eyes is so beautiful, it leads to exaltation. You humbly obey God, and He lifts you up. That's worth it. You also look here, and you see what Jesus accomplished. You see that Jesus did not consider his privilege and honor something to be protected, but rather he put your interest ahead of his own. He loved you enough to give all that up to come and rescue you. This is a God who loves you. And so the commands he he gives are not commands that are designed to take away the good things of life. They're commands that are given to express his love to you. His commands are life-giving. Or we could see it this way. Jesus obeyed. And we're coming to see how great he is. And there's a little bit of us that just loves him. And so if we see him obey and we have loved him, it seems natural for us to want to do it too. After all, that's what we do. We fall in love with stuff and then want to be like it. Little question. Sports illustrations, are, are I know I overdo them, but they're just so easy right now. How many of you wore your team's colors yesterday? Because you love the team. You put on their colors. If you're coming to love Jesus, put on his colors. His colors are obedience. And you say, he's so great and beautiful and lovely. We imitate him. There are lots of reasons to obey. And Paul is saying, once you've considered Jesus, the most sensible thing you can do is work out your salvation in obedience. 
And so you say, okay, all right, God, you've commanded me in some areas. You've commanded me in uh, to worship. And so at your command, I'm going to stop thinking my schedule belongs to me. And I'm going to give to you that, that time for worship. Because you commanded it, and I know it's good. And I look at Jesus, who went to the synagogue weekly, and he worshipped. And so I'm going to worship too. You consider God's commands on um, perhaps sexuality. Where God says to those who aren't married, wait. Wait until you're married. That's the context. And he says to married people, don't withhold yourself from your spouse. And we say, okay, God commanded this. It must be for my good. And I'm going to embrace it and and submit and bow my knee to the one who loves me and gave me these commands. God says something about forgiveness. Forgive those as you have been forgiven. And and I want to say, you know, God, I like that command. It's really cool. But this person I know has hurt me. And quite frankly, I don't even like him right now. But God says forgive. And so I want to work out this royal family status I've been given. I want to work out what it means to follow Jesus and to belong to him. I want to work out what it means to be saved by him and to love him. And that means, Jesus, you said forgive. I'm going to forgive. Obedience is what's expected from the saved. But what does that life feel like? Well, that's what he tells us next. What to expect when we obey God? He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. The first thing that it's going to feel like is work. It's going to take work and effort. That, that this idea of, of having salvation and beginning to live it out in my words, in my actions, in my thoughts, in all parts of my life, it's going to take work. It doesn't come naturally. It's not like, you know, falling off a cliff. It's not like rolling a ball downhill. It's more like rolling it uphill. It's going to take work and effort. Peter says in the same context, make every effort to add to your faith the sanctified life. It's going to take effort. It's going to take work. And he says with fear and trembling. Now, again, here's a place where we can jump off the rails if we're not careful. We could say that God is saying, listen, you better work this out or you'd better be afraid. That that God is up in heaven looking down on your life and he's got the, 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 you know, crusher and he's ready to squash you like a grape if you get out of line i told you be afraid you never know what i might do it isn't that he's trying to say be afraid and so be motivated i worked at a a restaurant for the very first job i ever had busing tables and we had one day in particular that a couple months after i'd been there it was extraordinarily busy Tables full, uh, line out the door. It was chaos for two hours or so, two or three. And it was just mad. As you're trying to get people all their stuff, get the tables cleaned off, keep things moving. And it was just constant motion all across. And as the line uh, finally dissipated and it got a little bit slower, 
the, the general manager called uh, a portion of us uh, who were responsible for making sure things were cleaned up and kept orderly. And he lined us up in the lobby because the line had gone down now. And he went into a uh, profane tirade. He was as angry as I'd ever seen my mom. And, you know, it was she was he was upset. And uh, at one point, he actually threw a wet paper towel that he picked up off either the bathroom counter or floor. I don't know which at us. And, you, you know, I'm feeling like I'm in the military, standing there at attention going, don't move, don't move, don't say anything. He was upset that we hadn't taken care of the bathrooms and they'd gotten cluttered. It was, was, was that fair? I think so. That was our job. But it, did it make us want to go clean the bathrooms? It made us hate him. It made us want to work harder. It, it, in fact, it made us want to just go, man, he's off his rocker and ignore everything he said. God is not saying to you, hey, you don't know what I might do. He is saying, I want you to take this thing about working out your salvation seriously. To have fear and trembling before God is to recognize God is the creator and he is altogether holy. And that we're doing something magnificent here with our lives because he's going to add something. It's not, hey, work out your salvation because you're afraid. Work at your salvation with great care because, because that's the next word, verse 14, or sorry, verse 13, for it is God who works in you. Here's the last thing to expect. As you make these efforts to obey, as you work to obey God, expect the Spirit of God to be there helping you. That's what you should expect. He doesn't say work out your salvation because you might get it. He says work out your salvation with really great care, with really great reverence and an attitude of worship because God is at work in you. Recognize how big of a statement that is and be worshipful in the way you work out your salvation. God is at work in you. What's he doing? He is working in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. At our 175th anniversary, Dr. Ligon Duncan opened his sermon by saying that the Christian life was fought at the level of the desires. And he's right. And you have the Spirit of God at work in you at your will, at the level of your desires. He is shaping what you desire so that your heart becomes more and more like his. And... He is at work in you at what you could do. He is enabling you to do the obedience that he expects. And the result is his good pleasure. He wants you to will and to do in your life so that he looks on you and says, I'm pleased with that. God looks at you and says, I am pleased with the work in your life. And because of that, I want you to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that God's at work in you at the same time. How does this work together? I think here we need a couple of illustrations, but I'm going to start with the ones that, that aren't the right ones. Okay? So the first, if you check out, don't check out yet. These are, the first ones are the, are the bad ones. First, 
This is not a, a let go and let God thing. That was a popular saying years ago in the church where we would try to say something like this. God's at work in me, and so I just want to get out of his way. And we try to, to rest in what God is doing. Now, the sentiment there is very good. But to just do nothing isn't what Paul's talking about. He does say, work out your salvation. To let go and let God is a little bit like saying, I'm gonna, I, need, I want to go to Jackson. And so I'm going to pray that God gets me to Jackson. But I'm going to sit here until it happens. I'm not going to get in my car and I'm not going to get on Highway 25. I'm just going to wait until God does it. Do you know how long it'll take to get to Jackson that way? It's a long time. That's not the way this works. All right, let's try another one. Let's say I have this employer and he knows he's got some projects he wants me to get done. And so he comes along and he says, here are all the resources you need. The computer and the money and, and, and the access to you know, other company resources. I'm going to give you all that stuff. You go get the project done. And then we say, it's kind of like that. The Spirit gives us the resources. Now you get out there and get the work done. That's not it. That's not the picture that Paul's painting. It's not one where the Spirit works and does his part and then you go and do yours. How about this one? You're driving along in a car and you come across a, a big log across the road. You've got to get through this road. And so you pray, God, help me move this log. And you go over and you pick up one end and the Spirit of God picks up the other and he carries it off the road with you. You know, where you do half and he does half and the work gets done. That's not the picture either. The picture is like this. All right, now you can check back in. This is, this is the way... You work and the Spirit works and what happens gets done is, is obedience in life. When I was five, I was watching my dad mow the yard and I asked him, can I do it? It's a push mower, old school push mower, which didn't have the handle on it. So when you let it go, it kept running. In fact, the only way to turn it off was yet we took a saw, a metal saw, and grounded the spark plug to the frame of the lawnmower which if you're touching the metal of the saw will alert you not to do that again. Those of you who play with spark plugs will know what I'm talking about. Old school lawnmower, no turning wheels. It's all, you know, little bitty wheels and you got to push it. And so I'm five and I have to reach up to grab it and I can't get any leverage on it. And so with all my might, I push this lawnmower, but it goes nowhere until my dad reaches around and grabs hold of the lawnmower and he starts pushing too. And now with all my might, I'm pushing the lawnmower and I'm mowing the yard, but my dad is providing all the power. And I want you to see that's what Paul's describing. Paul's describing a life where you make every effort to obey God. But you know that it's really the Spirit of God who's, I don't know, pushing the lawnmower. You know it's really the Spirit of God who's making this take off in your life. There's a, a great scene in um, the Pilgrim's Progress. And Christian has gone into a room to see a picture and there's a fire in a fireplace and a man who's, who's dumping water on it and dumping water on it and the fire won't go out. And, 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 and uh, his guide takes him behind the wall and he says there was a man who was pouring oil from behind the fire, unseen to the rest of the world, but oil being poured on the fire so that no matter how much water got put on it, that fire's never going out 
And he says, this is Christ. He is at work in you to make sure your faith never goes out. Your obedience keeps burning no matter how much water gets doused on it. You have God at work in you. So work out your salvation with great care, with worship, and expect that God will produce in you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are people who are asked to do more than we can do. You've commanded us to obey all of these commands. And they are beyond us, but they are not beyond you, and they are not beyond your work in us. And so if the job is too big for us, will you work in us? And if you do so, we will expect you to put sin to death in us and to make us alive into righteousness. Our hope is that you are at work. And as a response to that, let us work out our salvation with glad and joyful hearts, worshiping you with fear and trembling. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.